Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, if you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for this reading of your word. Uh, we look to you, O Lord, that we might hear your voice this morning. We ask, O Lord, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, and that, Lord, you use your word powerfully this morning to shape and mold us and to make us more and more uh, in the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think perhaps one of the most common beliefs in America is this idea that God will welcome us into His heaven uh, even though we have never really centered our lives around Him, uh, even though we've never really repented of our sins or turned from our sins, uh, even though uh, we have largely lived our lives uh, apart from Him. I find that to be so common and I'm very familiar with this kind of thing because as an unbeliever I remember once holding uh, these kinds of ideas uh, as well. And I've had many years to reflect on that. And I think it's very clear that uh, I had to think that way. Uh, as unbelievers we, we have to think like that because it enables us to continue living apart from God. Because until that thinking changes, uh, we will continue to live apart from God. Uh, as I think about those years, uh, many, many years I lived apart from Christ, I, I knew I was apart from Christ. Uh, but I still nevertheless thought things would go okay. And I find that to be so common. And I think that many of you probably find that to be common as well. Now, we might ask the question, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus cleansing the temple? <laughs> the story, the very famous story that we've come to this morning. Well, that's what I hope to show. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give us eyes to see that uh, there is a rich application for 21st century America in this story of uh, Jesus coming in and cleansing the temple. Now, to see this, we must first um, uh, take a look at some of the background information. We, we might begin by asking the question, uh, when Jesus went into the temple that day, uh, what exactly did He see taking place? Well, when Jesus initially entered the temple, or if we would have been with Him, when you initially entered the temple, you entered into a court area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. Uh, this was where all non-Jewish uh, people would gather if they wanted to come and worship uh, the Lord. 
Uh, this is where all of us would be if we wanted to make the, make the journey to Jerusalem during the feast time, during the festivals, and we wanted to take place in the worship. Uh, I think all of us are of non-Jewish descent here this morning. So this is the area where all of us uh, would gather. Now, when Jesus entered this area, he saw a massive amount of commerce taking place. Uh, and during these feast times and these festivals, uh, the, the Jews would travel from their homeland and make these pilgrimages, if you will, these journeys into Jerusalem. It's still done today. And the population of the city of Jerusalem would expand radically. There would literally be millions of people pouring into uh, Jerusalem to take place, to take part and observe uh, the various feasts, if you will. And one of the things that would be required of us would be to pay the temple tax. And we would enter into this area and we would be carrying currency that would be different than the currency uh, that was required uh, to pay that temple tax. You had to pay the temple tax with the temple currency. So you would go into the temple area with your U.S. dollars, if you will, and it would be kind of like going to Canada or going out of, out of, the, out of the country and going to a cashier. You would pull out your U.S. dollars and you would have your U.S. dollars exchanged for temple uh, currency, for temple dollars. Now, with all of this, there's, there's really no problem. In fact, uh, this would be actually a very useful service in and of itself. Uh, but the problem with it is it had become very corrupt. Uh, there was any time I, when money's involved, corruption is always usually right at the heels of it, isn't it? And uh, it became very um, obvious to many that a lot of money could be made right here. And by the time of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, this had become very, very corrupt. Uh, it wasn't like handing the cashier a dollar, a U.S. dollar, and receiving a, uh, a U, uh, the equivalent of a U.S. dollar uh, in temple currency. Uh, wasn't quite like that. Uh, there was a percentage that had to be paid. Uh, I don't know, remember if it was called a fee or if it was just a percentage that was allotted to it. Uh, but you not only had to pay a percentage for the exchange, uh, when you paid the temple tax, you'd actually have to pay uh, a fee or a percentage for the change that they gave you back. So it'd be kind of like going to Walmart and putting $100 worth of groceries up on the counter and the cashier rings it up and you see on the little screen uh, $100 worth of groceries and then the cashier say that'll be $137.79. So you pull out seven $20 bills and you hand it to the cashier, $140, uh, to pay for $100 worth of groceries. And then she tells you, well, we're going to need another $5 for your change. Um, I don't think that would make many of us very happy. Uh, it, it would be oppressive, um, uh, very oppressive. And, you know, really, I can't, I can't really avoid stopping and making an application right here, right now, because I think I can hear the businessman saying, you know, that's just business. That's just business. Right? Isn't that how it goes? That's just business. Well, what's Jesus called it? Look at verse 13. Jesus, say, Jesus says, oh, I guess see, this, just, this is just business. He calls it robbery, doesn't it? 
And really, I mean, the obvious application here is a lot of what goes on as business today is robbery. It's that point and simple. Gouging one another is thievery. You know, and if I might digress just for a brief moment, you know, I've been saying this for years, the economy could be straightened out very easily. If we just quit gouging each other, the economy would straighten right out. Of course, a lot of people would lose a lot of money, uh, but it would, straighten, it would straighten itself right back out. What makes the economy so complex and so complicated is greed, covetousness, and fraud. Um, that's what makes it such a mess. I mean, it's, it's really not a, not a complicated matter of all. But back to, uh, back to our matter at hand. If you and I were traveling to Jerusalem, we'd be required to pay the temple tax. But we would also be required to bring a sacrifice uh, with us, uh, most likely a lamb if we were really poor, uh, a pigeon, if you will. And you can see, if you, if you lived a good distance from Jerusalem, that wouldn't be very practical. Uh, the, the, the lamb or the pigeon would have to meet a, a certain criteria uh, to be a, a valid sacrifice. And of course, uh, folks knew what that criteria was. Uh, but as a convenience, uh, the officials in the temple began to provide sacrifices, sacrificial animals at the temple, uh, so that we could travel to Jerusalem. And when we got to Jerusalem, simply purchase our sacrifice there and then uh, offer our sacrifice uh, in the temple. That would be a great convenience because now you don't have to travel uh, with these animals. Um, but of course by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry uh, this also uh, had become quite uh, corrupt as well. The, the, um, uh, the cost of these animals, the charges of these animals had become greatly inflated and an animal couldn't be offered unless it had the priest's approval. So if you decided you didn't want to pay uh, this exorbitant price for a sacrifice in Jerusalem and you wanted to bring your own uh, lamb with you, there was a chance that you could travel all the way to Jerusalem and your, uh, your sacrifice be denied. And as this became more and more corrupt, that chance became greater and greater and greater. Uh, knowing this, folks decided, a lot of folks decided just to go and to pay the uh, exorbitant price. So we can see there's a lot of oppression uh, going on in here. And when Jesus enters the temple courtyard, he sees all these animals everywhere. He hears the sounds of all of the coins going in the coffers. He hears the sound of the sheep and uh, filled with wrath. Look at verse 13 with me. Verse wrath tells us that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. We've probably all heard this story many times. Um, what I'd like to do now, having looked at the background information you know, that we really need to understand this story, uh, let's take a look at the significance of what Jesus says. Uh, I might put it this way. Let's look at the significance of Jesus' rebuke uh, there's some things that, we, that, that we'll be blessed to see here. Notice he says it is written. That's the first thing that he says. It is written. He's making a reference here to the Word of God. Uh, he's making a reference to the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And by doing this, he's establishing absolute authority to what he's about to say next. Uh, because there is no authority 
uh, that's greater than the Word of God. Uh, there is no authority that is even equal to the Word of God. I think all of us will agree to that. Uh, God's words are greater than our words. Uh, no question about it. Uh, Jesus says it is written with that phrase. He is pointing to the Word of God. He is establishing absolute authority with what He is about to say. And then He continues using two different quotations from Scripture. Uh, he says uh, that my house shall be called a house of prayer. That is um, a citation from the first passage we read this morning. Some of you might remember seeing that in Isaiah 56. And it might be profitable for you to turn back. Keep your finger in Matthew. I hate to flip us around a little bit, but there's something here I think you'll, you'll agree that it's worthwhile to see. If you go back to Matthew chapter 56 and look at the context of this passage, um, we might start with verse 7. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Isaiah 56 and verse 7. Uh, that passage is found page 616, if it's helpful to you. Isaiah 56 and verse 7. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, these I will bring to my holy mountain. Do you see that? These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my what? My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Do you see that part? For all peoples. Depending on your translation, some may say for all nations. Isn't that interesting? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, Mark, actually, you don't need to turn here. I'll just share with you. In Mark's account of the cleansing of the temple, uh, he includes this uh, all peoples, if you will. His account reads, My house shall be called a house of prayer uh, for all nations, which is a very valid translation uh, of that verse. It's a house of prayer not only for the, uh, the Jews, but what the prophet is saying, what God is saying through the prophet, is my house shall be a house of prayer for everyone, for all peoples, for every tribe, uh, nation, and tongue. Now, if we look back to verse 3, Isaiah 56 and verse 3, um, we'll, we'll take a look at the context here, if you will. God speaking through Isaiah says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. And then if you skip down to verses 6 and 7, something really beautiful taking place here. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps, my, or keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. What's going on here? 
God is making a prophetic announcement through Isaiah. And the psalm and parcel of this prophetic announcement is that God is going to go into the world and he's going to gather people of all walks of life and he's going to bring them and engraft them into the worship. If you look at verse 8, He says, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. All of us, I don't know about you, but I will speak for myself. I'm really glad this is the case. We're, we're the product of this, of this promise. We're the product of this activity that God has promised so long ago to do. Now, with all of this in mind, Let's go back to the temple and let's think about what's going on as Jesus enters that temple. If we would have traveled to observe this Passover feast, we would have went into the temple, we would have went into the area where we were confined to be. We would have had to go into the court of the Gentiles. We wouldn't have been allowed to go beyond that point. In fact, there was signage in the temple. If one of us would have decided we wanted to go further into the temple, into the next courtyard, if you will, which would have been the courtyard of the women, there was a sign there. It says that if we would have passed that point, we would have done so uh, upon pain of death. We would have been executed for going any further. Now, we make this long journey to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Where are we going to have to do it? We're going to have to do it amidst the bleeding of the sheep, amidst the coins flying into the coffers, amidst all of this corruption, amidst all of these animals. If we think it's hard to worship in here with a little bit of construction going on, could you imagine what it would be like to worship in that environment? It would have been practically impossible. Practically impossible. Hardly a place of worship. Now the other phrase that Jesus uses in his rebuke is the phrase den of robbers. And uh, some of you probably have Jeremiah 7 uh, already marked in your, in your, uh, your Bibles. Uh, this is a quotation from Jeremiah 7 in verse 11 which reads, Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. You see that phrase there? Jesus is not calling on these things willy-nilly either. There's, 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 a, there's a divine purpose here. Now the context of these words is really important. If you look back to verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 7, you'll see that the Lord is calling Jeremiah to stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim these words to the men of Judah. Do you see that? Uh, verse 2 says, To the men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. And he tells the men of Judah to amend their ways indeed, and he will let them remain in the place. And then comes a warning which is very important in understanding Jesus' rebuke. Look at verse 4. He says, Do not trust in these deceptive words. What are the deceptive words? This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Now, What's going on there? Well, we have the vilest of corruption taking place uh, in the temple of the Lord. 
Yet everyone thought all was going to be well with them. Why? Because they had the temple of the Lord. We've got the temple of the Lord. Even if there is a major disconnect between the way that we're living and God's will, nevertheless, we have the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Now listen to what God says next in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. He says, If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, and look at verse 6. If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell here. If we look verse 6, if you do not oppress the sojourner or shed innocent blood, what is going on in the temple courts? They're oppressing everyone, uh, financially oppressing them. And what's going on to the sojourner? This is the only place that he or she has to worship the Lord at this particular time. Uh, it's become a, just a big fair of thievery, hasn't it? And we see that there's all kinds of oppression. Uh, no place for the sojourner to worship. Pilgrims are getting ripped off with excessive charges. And you know, before the week is over, some innocent blood will be shed. Uh, before this week is over, they will crucify Jesus Christ. God continues in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. He says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we're delivered? See the disconnect between their faith and the way they're living? Now, let's start to put all this together. Today, there's lots of people who do the exact same thing. In fact, one of the biggest problems we have in the church is this kind of activity where we have folks that uh, are in the church whose lives are, are really um, unchanged uh, from the ways of the world, uh, yet are still taking the name of Christ. They're, they're still calling themselves Christians. Uh, it's one of the biggest problems that we have is we do... Uh, outreach to people that are really thinking, uh, especially if they've ever been exposed to this kind of thing. Uh, they might think of this individual, that individual, this individual that's uh, a leader in this church or a leader in that church or, or, or part of this church. And, uh, you know, when you live in a small community, you see what's going on in the community. And when there's a major disconnect between the way that we're living and what we're professing, you see that we, we're all in tune with the problems uh, that that can cause. Uh, when we live just like the world and we think is all, uh, all that is fine with us, uh, there's, there's a major problem. Uh, oftentimes people think, well, I was baptized, and because I've been baptized, all is well with me, and it doesn't matter how I live. Or sometimes people think, well, you know, I go to such and such church, and because I go to such and such church, uh, I can live however I want, and it doesn't make any difference. Uh, uh, I belong to such and such church. Sometimes it's the pastor. You know, it's such and such, uh, pastor such and such, or the priest. Uh, folks will look to the priest, and because such and such is uh, my uh, priest, all is going to be 
well with me and there's no end. But what I want us to see is, you see, this, this is an old problem. Um, it's an old problem. Um, and it's the same thing. Instead of trusting in the temple, we might trust in our baptism or trust in the family we grew up in or trust in the, the church that we're going to, etc., etc., etc. Well, if we go back to Matthew 21, uh, what does Jesus do about all of this? Uh, what's He do about all of this? Well, we already know the answer to that. Uh, he runs everybody out of there, doesn't He? I don't know if you've ever taken time to think about this, but do you think any one of us could have pulled that off? Just walked into the midst of, the, of all of that corruption by our lonesome and knocked those tables over and ran all of those people out of there? What do you think would have happened to us if we would have done that? We'd have been quickly carried away, wouldn't we? This must have been some rebuke. Jesus goes into that temple, into that courtyard, and he flips those tables over, and they hightail it out of there, don't they? He runs them all off. And do you see how this ancient prophecy is being partially fulfilled there? God promised, listen, you oppressed a sojourner, you shed innocent blood, you're out of here. And all along comes Jesus. And he walks into that area. And filled with wrath. He makes good on his promise, doesn't he? And they scatter. That had to have been some rebuke. It had to have been terrifying. But then something very beautiful happens. Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And with these actions, Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah are, are partially being fulfilled. He's run off the hypocrites and he's calling the outcast, the foreigner, the soldier. And He's healing them. And in just a few days, Christ will die on the cross for these outcasts so that their salvation will be secured for all eternity. Um, these blind and lame people are trusting in Christ, aren't they? And they find healing. While the others were trusting in all kinds of other things, the fact that they had the temple and they were ran away. So in conclusion, what does this text tell us about the popular notion that it doesn't make any difference how we live all will be well with us and we'll be, we'll be welcomed into God's heaven. What does this tell us about that? Well, these people in the temple thought all would be well with them because they had the temple. And how did that work out? They were ran off. But the blind and the lame, they thought altogether differently. They thought all would be well with them if they got to Jesus. You see the difference? All will be well with me because I've been baptized. All will be well with me because, you know, I go to a certain church. All will be well with me because, because of the priest or the pastor or whoever. 
I can hear the blind lamb saying, no, 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 you got this all wrong. I can't see so good, but I will tell you this. All will be well with you if you get to Jesus. You just got to get to Jesus. There was a lot of very religious people uh, in, that, in that temple. But they didn't have Christ. You see the, the lesson that we have here? Um, saving faith changes the way we live. That's all there is to it. It changes the way that we live. When we receive Christ Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. That's why I chose Galatians 5, 22 and 23 uh, for our scripture memory verse this morning. You know, what, what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits are produced in the heart of he or she who truly has received the gift of faith. And because these fruits are being produced in the heart, it changes the actions, it changes the desires, it changes what uh, a person will, uh, will go and do. Uh, it changes the way that we live. I want to be really clear here. We cannot obtain salvation by the way we live. But if we have received saving faith, we cannot continue living uh, the old way either. It will change the way that we live. All of this is pointing to an ultimate fulfillment where one day Jesus will return. And in that day, he will actually rid the church of all false professors, just like he cleansed that temple. Uh, he will come to his church, and he will rid the church of all false professions. And uh, those who have truly received the faith, uh, the gift of faith, uh, will, be, uh, will be his. So let us follow the lead of the blind and the lame, and let us come to Christ. And trust in Him and be healed. And as we go forth from this place, uh, let's remember these words. That we might communicate these words because there are so many people around us uh, who trust in the popular notion that it makes no difference how we live. All is going to be well with us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, uh, for this uh, incredible word that You have given us, Lord. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for these ancient promises that mean so much and apply uh, to us even now. Uh, we thank you, O Lord, that we stand in these promises, that you have promised to gather people, that you would continue to gather even more. And Lord, we recognize, Lord, you have gathered us. So, O Lord, we thank you and we praise you. O Lord, we pray that you will work in our hearts to produce these wonderful fruits that are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that our lives, which will never be perfect in this life, but that our lives will, will continue to progress, O oh Lord, in, in the likeness of our, of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to these ends, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen.